Hi, good morning. My name is Trent Marks, and I serve with the Adams Community Group, um, myself and my wife, Tana. I'm going to be reading from Mark chapter 1, or chapter, chapter 3, verse 1. Again, he entered the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand. As they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they may accuse him, he said to the man with the withered hand, come here. And then he said to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save a life or to kill? But they were silent. And then he looked around to them in anger, grieved with their hardness of their heart and said to the man, stretch out your hand. And then the Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against them, how to destroy him. May, the, may God be blessed with the reading of his word. Thank you, Trenton. Hey, I uh, just want to thank, thankful for uh, the worship band, uh, for Zach and Rodney and Aaron, and the sound people in the back. Thank you all for uh, faithfully serving every Sunday. Um, they get here, we get here super early, and so if you want to ever come super early to help us out, uh, unload the truck, that'd be awesome. Uh, we get here like at 7.30, so... Hey, I'm really glad that y'all are here this morning, uh, thankful uh, to be able to worship uh, together, uh, thankful for the Fun Dome, thankful uh, just, for, as I said, for the people that help us set up, and thankful for you joining us this morning. My name is Mark Rohr. If I don't, haven't met you or I don't know you that well, uh, loved that y'all are here, glad that you're here, um, to, and that I'm able to open God's Word with you this morning. Uh, we're going to uh, continue our time in the book of Mark, and so if you would, as Trenton just read, if you would turn in your Bible or your devices, uh, whatever you have, um, but have something tangible. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, if you need one, I believe uh, we have Bibles in the back, and so if you want to, you can raise your hand and they can bring you a Bible, um, but please have one in your hand. It'll also be on the screen as well. Um, but yeah, this morning we have a great privilege of opening God's Word, but before I jump into our text this morning... I want to share a story that I heard this week from a really good friend of mine um, in Canyon, Texas, and it goes along, uh, I think, with what we're going to be reading today and, and, and how we are, are as a church, as followers of Jesus, to apply this word that we're going to hear today. Um, but this, this man, he works for a theater company, um, the, the play Texas, if you've ever heard of it, in Canyon, Texas. So they do this great play. You should go check it out. It's really awesome. It's an outdoor play. Um, but anyway, he... he, uh, he ultimately works for the, for the company to share Jesus with the, with the actors, with the setup crew, all the people that are involved. Uh, he works, goes every day and stays all, up, all night pretty much and shares Jesus with these people from really all over the U.S. because they come um, to this play uh, to work because it's a great thing to put on your resume. So he has the opportunity to share Jesus with lots of people. He told me a story this week that he was walking with a guy uh, to, as they were going to going to work, and uh, they're talking about church, and the guy he was talking with, he said, well, my only uh, time, my only thought of church is when I was younger, and people, all I remember is them condemning me and judging me, um, and he told my friend that he lives an alternate lifestyle, um, a life that uh, is just an uh, um, alternate lifestyle, and so he the church that he grew up in, they didn't show him grace, they didn't show him love, they didn't, ex- they didn't accept him in the way of, of, of loving him and inviting him to their homes, but yet they showed him condemnation and judgment only. 
And I think if you can think of people in your life, you probably can think of people in your life that have had that same experience. I know I talk with people weekly that their only experience of church is one of judgment and one of condemnation, right? Because the church sees what they're sinning in and says, hey, don't do that, right? That's, that's not the way the church was made to be like, right? And we see that ultimately in Jesus, that Jesus didn't come and, and, and judge people. He came and showed compassion and love and ultimately gave his life on the cross for us, right? And so the people that we know uh, that have had that experience, I'm saddened by it, and you should be saddened by it too. And we'll see today in our text that Jesus, actually he's angry and he's grieved over the way the Pharisees, the re- re- religious leaders of the day, treat uh, the people on the Sabbath day. And my fear is that, as you probably know, that there are many churches today that treat people in this way. And again, although we should not approve of people's lifestyle living outside of, of, of faith in God, but yet we should be the people that are going to them just as someone came to you and to me and loved me and, get, and showed me grace, showed me compassion, and by seeing their life and by hearing the gospel as they proclaimed it to me, God changed my heart, and he also did that in your life as well if you are a follower of Jesus. Right? So in the same way, we should go and live compassionate lives towards people outside the church um, because we were once there. We were once outsiders of, out of God's grace. But because of people came into your life and showed you grace through, through, through their actions, through their words, now you sit here and you're redeemed. Just as Zach said, you are sealed with the Spirit and your home is in heaven one day with Jesus, which is amazing, right? And so therefore, we should live our life in such a way that we want to, as me and Trenton like to say, and as the Bible says, put off an aroma the people around us and say, hey, people want to say, I want what you have, and we can show them Jesus, right? But that only comes by living a compassionate and grace-filled life. In our passage today, we'll see the Pharisees, uh, who again are the religious leaders today, care more about the man-made laws than to show mercy, and we'll see how Jesus responds differently, and because of his action, where it will ultimately lead him. We will see that as, a ch- as the church, we should not be like the Pharisees, but love those who are in need of grace, just like you and I are. Again, Redeemer Church wants to be a grace-filled church, and I hope that if you're new or if you've been coming, that you feel that way, that we love Jesus and we love you and we want Jesus to be glorified. So with that, let me pray and we'll jump into our text. Father, thank you for this opportunity to open your word. Uh, God, I know just as that last song that we sang that I am powerless Lord, I, I cannot stand up here on, on my own strength, but Lord, I need your spirit uh, to encourage me and to give me the words to speak, Father. I pray that your word would be the center of our attention this morning. Lord, I pray as we open your word that you would block out all distractions, maybe from the, this, this previous week, maybe of different things going on in our lives that can distract us and, 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 and that kind of thing, Father. I pray that you would just block those out, Lord, and just help us focus on your word and... and, and uh, and let's let you be glorified. In your name we pray. Amen. So let's start in Mark uh, chapter 3. We'll read verses 1 and 2. So chapter 3, verses 1 and 2 in Mark, it says, Again, he, meaning Jesus, entered the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand. And they watched Jesus, and the day are the Pharisees. The Pharisees watched Jesus to see whether he would heal them on the Sabbath, so that... He might accuse them. We've seen in the, in the past, in chapter 2, verses 1 through 28, um, in the past few weeks, and as, as Chad taught last week, 
over uh, uh, the, the Lord, as Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath, uh, that we've seen five controversies between Jesus and the Pharisees, again, who are the relig- religious leaders of the day. In our text today, we'll see the hostility between Jesus and the Pharisees reach a climax, resulting in anger on both sides, one being a righteous indignation and the other revealing the evilness of the human heart. So we see here in verse 1, again, it says, Again he entered the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand. We see here that Jesus yet again is entering into a Jewish synagogue. We've seen that in chapter 1, verses 21 and 39, as Jesus goes into the synagogues, these houses of worship, and he teaches. We've seen that uh, as the people listen to Jesus, they had, again, the Pharisees were the religious leaders of the day, and they were the teachers, and people would listen to them. But when Jesus steps into the scene, as we saw in chapter 1, these people realized that this man had, a, had a teaching with authority, right? It wasn't just, I'm going to go listen to him, but they realized that Jesus, this man, as he taught, it was different from what they were used to, right? And so we see that he would enter into these Jewish synagogues and teach uh, and heal people and cast out demons. And also, if you look at the text, it says, and a, he entered the synagogue, again, he entered the synagogue, and the man was there in verse 2. Uh, it, was, it says, uh, on the Sabbath. And as Chad did a really good job last week talking about the Sabbath, um, the Sabbath day was a day set aside holy to the Lord. The Sabbath day is addressed in the Ten Commandments and is a sign between Israel and God. It's, it's commandment number four. Jews were to abstain from every kind of work since God himself rested on the seventh day of creation. God instituted the Sabbath to, for our good. Right, when I, when I, when maybe when you think of the Sabbath, and maybe that's kind of how I thought of the Sabbath before I really studied on this stuff, was that it's just a day, what do I do? Do I just do nothing? <laughs> like, which sounds kind of good, right, to do nothing, right? If you're working six days a week, um, it's, it's kind of nice to do nothing, right? But that's, that is what it's intended for, but also it's intended, the Sabbath day is intended for you and I to focus on God and to be reminded that everything that we have in our life, our families, our job, our health, Everything we have is ultimately from God, right? Yes, God has called us to work and work hard, but it's, we're, we're, it's intended for us not to look at ourselves and say, look at me, but the Sabbath day is to remind us and to refocus us, reorient us and remind us that our rest and everything is from the Lord, right? And to give him the glory and find satisfaction in him. As we saw last week in Mark uh, 2.27, Chad pointed out, it says, and he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So right there, Jesus points out that the Sabbath, again, is for our good. It's not just the Lord of the over you and say, hey, you better do this, 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 right? That's not rest. If I come to you and say, hey, here's all these rules, you have to follow them, right? That would put a burden on your shoulders, right? That would not give you rest, right? So again, the Sabbath was intend- intended for rest. It was to be able to be a blessing to man, uh, there's this book uh, that I've given to my wife, uh, and it's Over the Ten Commandments. Jenny Wilkin wrote it, and I love this quote that she, she wrote. She says, The people of God reflect God when they observe rest after labor. Right? Because remember, God observed rest after, the, after, his, after he created the world, both by partaking of it themselves and providing it to others. Right? Did you hear that? That God, we reflect God when we observe rest after we work, both by partaking of it and providing it to others. And that's what we're going to see in our text today, that Jesus doesn't just say observe the Sabbath, but he also says 
when, when, when you can help provide rest for others, right? We're going to see that today in our text that Jesus provides rest for a man that had a, a withered hand, right? But the Pharisees, the people who should have known this law, and they did, but they had it twisted, they twisted it, they caused the Sabbath day to be a burden to people by adding their traditional man-made rules. In verse 1, we are also introduced, as we just said, actually verse 2, uh, verse 1, it says, there was a man with a withered hand. And when I said withered hand, I was like, I don't know what that exactly, what that exactly looks like. But some commentary said this man was disabled or was disformed. Maybe he was a man that uh, was a guy that uh, beat stones and broke stones back then for building, whatever it was, plastering. But his hand somehow uh, was injured, right? And one commentator said the strength of this man's hand had been dried out of it and therefore became wilted and useless. This man was in need of love and compassion, and we see that Jesus, who is Lord of the Sabbath, will show him just that and defy traditional legality of the Pharisees with who, uh, with who said that it was wrong to heal on the Sabbath. So moving on to verse 2, again we see that, and they watched Jesus. So just as we see the context of the story, right, he enters the synagogue, there's a man with a withered hand, and now we're introduced again to the Pharisees. It says they watched Jesus. So the Pharisees are in, in the synagogue, and as Jesus enters the room, their eyes are lasered to this man walking into the room and stale him the whole time, right? And that's what it means by watch. It's not just, oh, he's over there, okay, but they're lasered, focused on him. And the text, and, and the question is, why are they watching Jesus so closely? Look at the end of verse 2. To see whether he, Jesus, would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. The Pharisees uh, permitted, the, the, the rule that they had back then was that if the only way you could heal on the Sabbath was if li- their life was in danger, right? So in their eyes, this man with the useless hand that needed healing, that Jesus knew that, and they knew that, but they said, hey, you can't heal him today. But you, tomorrow you can heal him, but today you can't do that because his life is not endangered, right? And so the Pharisees' rule permitted that, uh, the Pharisees, again, the religious leaders of the day, the people who were held high in esteem of piety and devotion to the law, were obsessed with externals, but neglected mercy, right? They cared on the, about what they looked like on the outside, right, and what other people were doing on the outside, but when it came to showing mercy, compassion, and love, right, they, they neglected that. Danny Aiken, in his commentary, uh, he shows that the Pharisees were so concerned about not violating the Sabbath that one Jewish rabbi stated that they should oppose praying for the sick on the Sabbath. He would say, do good another day, but not today. And that is absurd, I would, I would say, right? If someone said, hey, I'll pray for you tomorrow, Devontae, I know you're sick, but today I got to rest, man. God's, God's told me to rest. Right? That is absurd. That is, that's, again, a burden, right? Saying, I have to follow these rules. I want to I help Devante. I want to love him and show compassion to him, but I can't because there's these rules over here. Right? That's not how God intended the Sabbath to be. Right? But that's how the Pharisees were, were, were making it out to be. So these Pharisees looked right past a man who was in need straight to Jesus again to see if he would heal so they can presumably bring charges against him. It was, with, it was with evil intent that they watched Jesus so closely. All right, the Pharisees, instead of helping this man, they used him. Jesus, on the other hand, desired to help the man and to give him rest on the day 
that rest was intended to be, right? And so this man, the, the Pharisees know this guy's in need, but they're using him so that they can try and, and charge Jesus, so they can accuse him and get him out of the way, right? Because he is coming in and wrecking their world and, and causing them, their pride to be hit where it, where it hurts the most, right? By, by showing that their traditions are not right, that they're not following the Sabbath as it was intended. So again, we see here the Pharisees did not love God and therefore did not love their neighbor, which we see that Jesus sums up the entire law in Luke 10, 27, right? Love God and then love your neighbor, right? That's how the whole law, how many laws, 500 and something laws are summed up in those few words. Love God and love your neighbor, right? So the Sabbath was intended to love your neighbor. The Pharisees did not have a heart for man and therefore could not see the Sabbath as a gift from God to meet man's needs and not an oppressive burden, right? Devonte again, he pointed out to me uh, uh, yesterday that he said, it's crazy, while trying to uphold the law, the Pharisees were breaking the law by not loving their neighbor, right? So the Pharisees were trying, they, they saw the law and they knew God's law was good, but yet they missed the whole point of the law, which is to show mercy and compassion and love, right? Which is the, why the whole, the, the law is intended to do is show love. So the Pharisees are saying, hey, I'm going to uphold the law, but I'm going to break it in the same time by not showing love and compassion, right? And so again, the whole law summed up in love. So as we continue in the story, we can sense the tension is thick, right? Because they're staring at Jesus. Jesus is walking into the room. And I bet Jesus, I don't know, I don't know if it's in the Chosen films, but maybe Jesus is staring right back at them, <laughs> glaring at them, right? I don't know if that isn't in the text. But I, 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 I kind of get that Jesus wasn't the man that backed down, right? In a loving way, right? He wasn't looking for evilness or anything. But again, these men are looking at him and wanting to accuse him and ultimately get him out of the way. So we can sense that tension is thick between the Pharisees and Jesus. We can picture them glaring at each other and ask the question, how will Jesus respond to these threats? Will he just walk away just this once to keep the peace? Will he shrink back from his purpose to show kindness to this man? Verse 3 and 5 give us the answer. Read with me verse 3 and 5. It says, And he, Jesus, said to the man with the withered hand, Come here. And he said to them, to the Pharisees, it is, lawful on the, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? But they were silent. And he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart, and said to the man, Stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was restored. So we see Jesus does not, in fact, back down, right, from these Pharisees uh, um, coming, trying to come at him. Verse 3 tells us that the man with the, he tells the man with the withered hand, in the midst of everyone, so if, if this room right now, if this man was here, Jesus said he would say, stand up in front of everyone, right, in front of the Pharisees, right? So he wasn't trying to hide and say, I'm going to heal you just over here, though, so the Pharisees don't see, right? But he's like, hey, I want these guys to see what I'm about to do, right? Um, and again, if, if Jesus were to ask the same question to you, which he, which he kind of does, right, if, is it good to harm or is it good to kill? What would be your answer? It's good, to, it's good, right? It's good to heal. It's good to save life. It's, it's terrible to kill. It's terrible to do bad. Everyone in the world can say that, even if their life doesn't resemble that, right? They know what is right and what is wrong, right? It's inherent in us, right? And so that, that was kind of like a dumb moment to me. But I love that Jesus is good at asking questions that put people like the Pharisees in the corner, 
the Pharisees knew, just like you and I, that the right answer is to do good and to save life. In the same passage, and the same story in Matthew, in, the, in, the account of, in Matthew's account, he gives us a better illustration of this. Uh, we see Jesus give an example to the Pharisees that would have been well known. In Matthew 12, he says, Which one of you who has a sheep, if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not take hold of it and lift it out? Of how much more value is a man than a sheep? So, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Right? My wife's dad has goats, and I guarantee you if one of those fell into a pit, he'd be the first one out there to go and pick that thing up. Right? No matter what day it is. Right? Because that is his, his, his resource for income. Right? So, he's going he's gonna to protect those sheep. So, Jesus is saying here, if, if you say it is lawful to pull a sheep out of a pit, even on the Sabbath, then how much more important is man? Right? And so this man with a withered hand, even though it's a Sabbath, he deserves healing. If you say you can pull an animal out, this man is worth way more, and he deserves to be healed, right? It's a good thing. So with this, we see the Pharisees knowing it is improper to do harm and to kill. But as we see in the text, their heart, but their hearts, and in their hearts, this is exactly what they want to do to Jesus, right? These Pharisees don't want to watch Jesus and say, oh, I hope he heals. I want to see this miracle, and I want to praise Jesus, Right? But their, in, their intent is evil. They're watching Jesus and hope he does it so they can accuse him, right? So they're looking at Jesus with evil intent, right? So they're breaking the law by having that in their heart of wanting to kill, of wanting to destroy. Their hatred for Jesus and pride prohibited them from repenting. So, and we see that here, Jesus' heart is to do good while man's heart, and specifically the Pharisees, uh, as we see here, their intent was evil. Right, and I think that reveals you and I's heart, right? That just as the Pharisee's heart is evil, the Bible says our heart, your heart, is evil above all things. Right? Later on, the Pharisees get on to Jesus and say, hey, you have to wash that bowl before you use it, right? Because one of their laws is they have to wash the dishes before you, which I think is a good law, right? But Jesus says, it's not what goes in you that defiles you, but it's what comes out of a person, right? And so meaning that what comes out of you, meaning your heart, right, which is where wickedness and evil comes out of, right, that's what defiles you, and all of us in this room have, the, have that same heart, that we are evil above all things, and out of our hearts come wickedness and evil, right, and if I, if I put my sins on the screen right here that you've never known, that would be terrible, I would hate that, right, but that, I know my heart, and I know that I'm the greatest sinner I know, right, I know my heart is evil, and we see that here in the Pharisees, that their heart was only evil, and they tried to accuse Jesus, so look at with me at the Pharisee's response, and this blows me away. Look at their response. What does verse 4 say? And he said to them, Is it lawful to do, uh, on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? But what, what's their answer? Nothing. It says they were silent. Right? So this, this kind of reminds me, reminded me when I was a kid, when I had a knife and I wasn't supposed to. Uh, I was in my closet and I was messing with it, and I accidentally cut myself really bad, and I was bleeding all over the floor. And I run out and say, I told my parents I slammed my door, my hand into the door. And of course they go back there and they see the knife in the blood, right? <laughs> and then they come back and they're like, Mark, we told you not to use a knife, didn't we? And all I could do in that moment was be silent. I couldn't justify my actions because I knew what I was doing was wrong, right? My, my silence speaks loud, my silence in that moment spoke louder than any words I could say. All right, the Pharisees here did not give an answer because they would have had to answer 
right? They knew the answer, and they, if they would have said it is right to do good and to save life, they would have been speaking against their own man-made laws. Their silence was louder than any answer they could have given. Their silence condemns them and, and reveals they have flawed in their theology concerning the nature of God, a God of grace and mercy, love and compassion. Remember, God instituted the Sabbath to be a blessing for man. It's a reminder to Jews to remember how God freed them from slavery in Egypt, right, as Exodus points out. And it's a reminder to us, to those who have been freed uh, from the bondage of sin by being forgiven of Christ. It's a reminder to us that that's what we've been freed uh, through Christ. Our God is a good and gracious Father who desires you and I to have rest in Him. Therefore, as you remember your freedom that has been bought for you in Christ, love the people around you. This is what the Pharisees failed to see and are therefore now being confronted with the true meaning of the Sabbath by the Lord of the Sabbath. Right, so that's the whole meaning of the context, right, is to love your neighbor as yourself, and this is what the Pharisees failed to see. So look with me at verse 5 to see how Jesus responds to their silence. It says, that Jesus, he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart. Right? And this was really good for me to be reminded that that there is a right anger, right? And we see that here. But before that, we, most of the time when we look at Jesus in the, in the scriptures, we see that Jesus looks with, on, on the people with compassion and love, right? As you look at when he feeds the crowds, it says he looks on them with compassion, realizing that they're sheep without a shepherd, right? When the rich young ruler comes onto the scene, he says, he says he looked at the man, loved the man, and spoke to the man, right? So Jesus usually looks at people with love and compassion, but here... However, we see Jesus looking at the Pharisees with anger and grief because of their hardness of heart is what the text says. Anger here in the Greek means violent passion, wrath, or reasonable indignation. Jesus was right to be angry in this situation because he is holy and must react this way toward unholiness, which I thought that was really good to point out that Jesus is right to be angry because he is holy, set apart, and perfect. Right, all good, together good, but in this moment, he is realizing that there is injustice being done, right? So therefore, his anger is right, because there is unholiness, right? It's an unholy moment. The Pharisees were, who, who were supposed to teach God's grace and show his grace were misrepresenting the, the God of grace. The Pharisees were esteeming a man-made ritualism above God-ordained concern about man's welfare, they were more concerned about adhering to their rule than loving their neighbor. Has anybody ever been guilty of that? Say, that, this is my rule, and if, if you go past that, then I'm gonna, I can't show you love anymore, right? These guys were more concerned about their rule than loving their neighbor. Verse 5 also says that Jesus was grieved at their hardness of heart. When Jesus says he was grieved, it shows that Jesus was, his grief was continued. So it, his, his anger was a momentary anger, but in, I think in the Greek when it says grieved, it means a continuous grieving, right? He was angry at the moment, but then the next moment he was grieved and continued to be grieved, right? Saying, man, these guys know the word of God. They know the law, yet their hearts are hardened, right? And he's grieving over that because he wants them so badly to understand what the whole law again is summed up on in, which is love, right? And so we, we are reminded here... Um, as to not have a heart like the Pharisees, which they had a hard heart. 
when it says hardness of heart in the Hebrew, it meant a stubborn resistance to the purpose of God. The very opposite of that humility and gentle teachableness which God requires. Right? So these guys have the hardness of heart, and therefore, Jesus is trying to show them and, and teach them, but yet they're so hard that they can't take in what God is trying to show them. Right? That, hey, my lost son's been loved, Pharisees, please see this. But they're so prideful and caught up in themselves that they can't see that because they're so hard-hearted, right? They're, they're opposed to what God is trying uh, to, to show them through, through, through what Jesus is showing them, right? We read in Scripture that God is near to the brokenhearted, right? I, I love the story that Tanner preached in, about the leper, right? He comes to Jesus, and he says, If you can, you can make me clean, right? This leper knew his state. He knew that he was dirty. He knew that without Jesus, he would stay in this state, Right? What if the leper in that moment said, oh, there's Jesus, he can heal me, but I'm going to stand over here because I'm too prideful, right? Then he would remain as a leper, remain outside of the camp and never be able to commune with his family and his friends. The leper instead runs to Jesus with humility and says, please heal me, I know you can, right? And so in the same way, you and I need to have that kind of heart, realizing that we are in bondage to our sin, realizing that we've messed up, but yet we have a perfect and loving and compassionate Savior who wants to forgive you if you come to him, right, humbly, with humility. So ask yourself, observe your life. Does your life reflect that, or does your life reflect the heart of the Pharisees, hardened toward the word of God? We see and have seen specifically in Mark that Jesus never becomes angry with tax collectors and sinners. I thought this was amazing. These, again, these people acknowledge their depravity. Remember Mark 2.17 uh, it says, and Jesus heard it and said to them, those who are well have no need of a, of a physician, but those who are sick. I came out not to call the righteous, but sinners. So Jesus never became angry with the prostitutes, with the drunkards, with the lustful men, with the people that were sinners, right? With tax collectors that were stealing people's money because they, they knew that they were in need of a Savior, right? We see that, that they ran to Jesus and knew that they were wrong and needed forgiveness. Right, but here in this story, we see that Jesus does, in fact, become angry and grieved because the Pharisees, the ones who should have known the whole law and that what it summed up in love, yet they were hardened, right? And they didn't see their need for a Savior because they were self-righteous and prideful. Church, we should follow Christ's example in showing compassion to others who are lost in the pit of sin. We should have a righteous indignation and holy grief towards those who are leading people astray by preaching the false gospel. Yet we should be careful to always pair righteous anger with a holy grief, as Jesus does here. It should cause us momentary anger, but then the next second, next second have a continuous and deep-seated grief because our hearts are hardened and therefore they, they don't see their need for the Lord. And that should grieve us because we know that in Christ there is life and life abundantly, and these people are denying it. Right, so that, that, should heart, that should anger us those people that are teaching false gospel that the next second grieve over them that they would come to know Jesus right, and have a right understanding of that. And again, Devante pointed this out to me. <laughs> he's, a, he, he's a great guy. Um, but he said it's easy, and it's easy, easy to merely be upset about someone's behavior, but it's another thing entirely to grieve over the hardness of someone's heart. And that hit me like, just almost knocked me down. Because it's easy for me to judge this person or this person or people in my family or people that I, I meet, right, and judge their situation. 
right? But it's hard for me to grieve over that and say, Lord, please heal their heart like you've healed mine. I want them to know you, right? Instead, I just remain angry at them and just saying, look at them. Why are they doing that, right? So in that moment, when you feel that coming on, just remember that God saved you, right? That he saved you through his son Jesus. And so therefore, we have no right to to be only angry, right? We should have a, a righteous indignation, but then be lit, be followed by a holy grief for people. So another question I thought about was, are, ask yourself, are you weeping over people in your life and your family members, people at your workplace, right, that, that defy God, right? Are you weeping over their sin and asking, praying for them and, and looking for opportunities to share with them that they might come to know Jesus, that their heart might be softened towards the gospel? Because right, that's what we're here to do as Christians is to be light in a dark world. So lastly, in verse, in the, in the verse 5 and 6, uh, we see how Jesus issued the command which will ultimately cause his path on the cross to start. Look at the end of verse 5 and, and through 6. He said to the man, Stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was restored. The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him how to destroy him. Jesus follow through, follows through with showing compassion to the man with the withered hand by commanding him to stretch it out, revealing that his hand had been healed. This must have been an amazing sight, right, to think that this man who these people knew had a withered hand, yet in the next moment, Jesus said, all he said was stretch it out, right? He didn't even touch him. He didn't pray over him. He didn't do anything. All he said was stretch it out, and the man's hand was healed. That's an amazing, that must have been an amazing sight to see, right, that this man... Uh, who came into the synagogue to worship the Lord, encountered the Lord, and was restored. Right? I love that quote. This man who came in the synagogue to worship the Lord, encountered the Lord, and was restored. God is restoring all things. And this healing is a foretaste of life in the kingdom. When, as Revelation 21.4 says, He will wipe away every tear. Death will no longer exist. Grief crying and pain will be gone because of the previous things have passed away. Right, so as we see this picture of this man being healed, right, it's a foretaste of what is to come ultimately that this world and those who are in Christ will be fully restored. Right? We will not have to grieve over things in the world anymore. We'll not have to cry over death when people pass away that we love. Right? It will be fully restored. And I just can imagine what that day is going to be like. But that, that is a fact. That's not just a, oh, I hope it happens. But God promises that he's coming back a second time, which I love, right? He is coming back. For those who are in Christ, what great hope do we have in that? I read the story this morning of a man in Mexico. Him and his wife are living in Mexico, sharing the gospel with people who are far from the Lord and, and hate Christians. And it says that the, they had been there for two years, and finally people started to come around and hear the gospel. Yet the husband one day went out on a trip to a far village to go and, and, and do some things while his wife stayed home, and the husband never came back. And they come to find out that the husband had been beaten to death by people in that village and, and killed, right? And that, that saddened me and angered me because these people have hard hearts and can't see the gospel, but in the next moment it grieves me because these people don't know Jesus and his wife goes on in the story, and she is still there in that same village where her husband died, sharing the gospel with these people. And she says, my hope is that my husband's death would be justified, right? Justice would come, but more so that people would come to know Jesus. 
Why would this lady stay there? Why would this wife, this widow, stay there where her husband died? Because she has hope and the Savior to come back. And she hopes that these people would come to know Jesus and, and, and be forgiven of their sin. Right? So if we, have, if we say we have hope in this world, then our life should reflect that in the way we live out our lives, our daily lives. And I know that I'm preaching to myself because I know I don't do that perfectly. Right? But I'm just, I just want to call us to that and remind us of that, that we, he is coming back. So therefore, live your life in such a way to others and show them the hope that you have. So again, the sight of seeing this miracle takes place. It should have caused, ultimately, the Pharisees, right? Because they're staring at Jesus it should have caused them to come lay at Jesus' feet and confess that they are wrong. But what does verse 6 says? It says, The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him how to destroy him. So it's like these men didn't even see, they saw, but it's like they didn't even see this man healed. It didn't cause them wonder or anything like that. It just caused them to go and say, All right, we got him. We can accuse him now. Let's get him. Let's, get this, let's destroy him. Again, it shows the hardness of the Pharisees' heart. Right, they acted in the opposite way. It said in, in Luke's account, it says they are filled with fury. Jesus heals a man, and it makes them furious. And that, that again, that is crazy talk. But that's how hard-hearted these Pharisees were, right? And, and wanted so badly to get Jesus out of the way so they could get back in the limelight. And it says they went out and immediately counseled with the Herodians how they might destroy him. And again, the Herodians here... Uh, him, them and the Pharisees were not friends. The Herodians were people that loved Roman rule, and the Pharisees who were Jewish, they, they did not go, go together. But yet, because of their same hate for Jesus, their, their same common hatred of Jesus, I love what Danny Aiken says here. He says, they, This made them, the, the Herodians and the Pharisees, strange bedfellows as they made a pact to get rid of this Galilean troublemaker. They wanted to destroy Jesus, meaning they were going to stop at nothing to get Jesus out of the way, which ultimately leads to Jesus being crucified on the cross as a condemned criminal. And I went out to sink in. I, that was my last point. I got into the to the to the conclusion, but I want that to seek in that this moment right here starts Jesus' path to where he is crucified on the cross as a condemned criminal, right? He is the one who is innocent, but yet he is condemned as one who is not innocent, right? These people hated Jesus so badly that they would put him on the cross. They freed a guy that probably committed murder, right, and, let, and made Jesus go on the cross. But I love, I, this, and as I was meditating on that, I was reminded that this is the mission of Jesus, that Jesus says, no one takes my life, but I'll lay my life down willingly, Right? So yes, Jesus endured pain, the full pain of the cross, but yet he knew that that, that was his mission on earth, right, to ultimately come and die on the cross for you and I. But right here we see his path starting as the Pharisees and Herodians plot against him. So some things to consider as we, as we close this morning. Again, our prayer for this church and for churches around us would be a gospel-centered church, that we would follow Christ's example in showing love and compassion to others. If we claim to be a follower of Jesus, then we should desire what Christ desires. Christ has sent you and I to Odessa as beacons of light to those who are still enslaved to their sin. Do not be like the Pharisees who are hard in their hearts to God's truth. God's will for your life and mine, if we are in Christ, 
that is that we would look like more, more like Christ daily. Right? So does your life look more like Christ today than yesterday? More like Christ this year than last year? Right? If you are a Christian, think of the places where you work. Think of the people that, in your family right, who maybe have that same experience of that, of that story I shared at the beginning with that guy. Right? That all they've experienced in church is condemnation and judgment. Right? You have the great opportunity and God has placed you in their life to show them love and compassion and say, hey, this is what the church is truly about. This is who God is. Our God is a loving God, a loving Father who shows love and compassion. As Galatians 2.20 says, Jesus says, I came to show them love, right? And ultimately that he showed us love by dying on the cross, right? So Jesus doesn't just say it, but he, he shows that to us through dying on the cross. All right, this is who our God is, that he sent his one and only son to die on the cross, and whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. That's the truth that we need to be claiming every day to the people around us. If you're not a Christian, I've been praying for you that you would come to know Jesus this morning. The Bible says that, again, that all our hearts are evil, right? We are all born with hearts bent towards sin. I would ask you this morning as we close and as we respond in song that, that you would see the compassion of the Savior here, that Jesus walks in the synagogue and sees this man and heals him, right? He does good to this man. And ultimately, Jesus, we see Jesus do this on the cross, and all those who confess Christ as their Lord and Savior, they will be restored fully. All their sin will be wiped away, right? As we're going to sing a song in a minute, it's going it's to say we're white as snow, right? We're cleansed. Matthew eleven twenty eight. Jesus says, All who are heavy laden and burdensome, come to me, and I will give you rest. Just as we talk about the Sabbath and how it refers to rest, right? Do you have eternal rest? Do you have hope one day when we pass away from this earth that you will rest with the Lord in heaven for eternity? Right? Or are you still walking on that path hard-hearted as the Pharisees did and not seeing their need for a Savior? I pray this morning that you see your need for a Savior. Again, as Zach said, we're all broken people in here. No one in here is perfect. But we have a Savior who he is and who loves you and desires to call you to himself and to forgive you of all your sin. So as we, as we respond, I ask that you would think about that, meditate on that. If you don't know Jesus, we'd love to talk to you more about that. I'll be in the back. Um, or if you need prayer, um, please come and, and I'll pray with you. So as we close, if Zach want to come up, uh, we're going to, again, partake in the Lord's Supper. And so we have two tables in the back. Uh, we have the, the cups since it's, I guess it's still COVID, I don't know. But we, there's one lid on the top you can peel off and then the bread's in there and then another lid, peel off and the juice is in there. Um, I want to read um, from Matthew uh, just on, again, on the Lord's Supper and how it was instituted by Jesus. Matthew 26, 26 says, now, now as they were eating, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples. And he said, take eat. This is my body. He took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. All right, so as we, as we meditate and re, are reminded that the Lord's Supper is to remind us of what has happened to us in our heart if we have come to know Jesus, that Jesus' body was broken for you and for I. All right, so as you take the bread, remember that. As you drink the juice, it says Jesus' blood was spilt out and poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. So through his blood and blood alone, your sins are forgiven. So remember that and worship the Lord in that.
If you're not in Christ, we ask that you would refrain from taking the Lord's Supper. That's only for those who have trusted in Jesus. Uh, but take this time and, and, and think on these truths that have been taught this morning, and hopefully that you would realize your need for him and realize that his, your sins can be forgiven because his blood was spilt out for you also if you just come and repent of your sins. If you have kids in the room, pray with them. Tell them about the Lord's Supper if they don't know Jesus and, and praise the family if you're single. Uh, grab someone, pray with them. Uh, but just take this time to respond in that way. Again, if you need to talk more about Jesus or prayer, I'll be in the back. Um, but respond um, in faith. Thank you.